Hey folks, welcome to another installment of The Mind of the Skeptical Leftist. I uh, just wanted to uh, do a quick intro for this episode. I really in enjoyed this chat with Andrew, uh, but some stuff has happened since the last episode that I need to uh, discuss. Um, first, I encountered, obviously, uh, that video about Keffels and Kiwi Farms. It got more attention than most of my videos do. Um, so it's doing okay. It's got a few, like over 150 views or something now. And it has more comments than others. And obviously, because of the troll nature of Kiwi Farms, uh, they came, those commenters came to comment because they're trolls. And <laughs> I just have to bring up this one commenter um, because it's a lot of fun. It's, it's probably my favorite thing that's ever happened. Um, first of all, <laughs> this is amazing. Uh, literally the worst show I've watched in a very long time. Wow. Zero out of 10. Astounding. Impressively horrible. So wretched you would think a script and hoove team would be required. I don't know what a hoove team is. The fact that just the two of you are able to be this bad off the cuff is absolutely amazing. This is fucking phenomenal. This kind of comment is absolutely my favorite thing because they don't have anything productive to say. They can't actually argue against any of the points that I've made. They probably, you know, only watched half the video, but they just didn't like the tone of us or whatever. They're just, you know, they're just being critical, but without any actual substance. This kind of shit comes out all the time. Uh, trolls are garbage people who just, you know, they just have to say negative shit. My response to this uh, this uh, quote or this uh, comment was that actually this comment speaks volumes about how good a show I produce. If someone comes on any other episode and says that it's bad, I might take them seriously. But on this episode, it's a clear endorsement because you're not coming here in good faith, but merely to undermine. Thank you for demonstrating that Felicia and I are on the right path and that, the, and that my show is good. So, <laughs> so I appreciate your fucking bullshit comment. I appreciate the engagement. You come and comment on my stuff. You hit that down vote because you think that's going to hurt me. And then I get more at attention on my video, which is counter to whatever bullshit narrative you wish was out going out there. So then <clears throat> we've got the re reply. There we go. So they say, ha, thank you for doubling down on your astounding trade of seeing up as down. It's amazing illogic on so many levels. No explanation as to why. Uh, kid, listen, word to God. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't believe in God. So your word to God means nothing to me. I stumbled onto your channel, right? Because of the Kiwi Farms and the Keffels hashtags. Uh, there's no persecution or capitalist conspiracy. I never said there was, uh, to shut down your show. No, you, as a troll, come to try and undermine uh, the message that I'm sending by making a comment that you hope will make people not watch the show. That's what trolls do. Don't inflate your own self-importance. Uh, <laughs> and one YouTube comment doesn't affect anything. My comment isn't for anyone on earth, else on earth but you. A direct message to you. There's millions of ways to send a direct message to me that aren't public. I give email addresses. There's a contact form on my uh, website. You can contact me through any uh, social media. If you don't want a public comment to be public, that's fine. If you want to send something directly to me, that's how you do it. This is a public comment intentionally designed to undermine my video and to make people think that it's not worth watching, which is... Which, but it has the opposite effect because now you've enticed people 
to think that, oh my God, they're saying something important or something controversial. <clears throat> it was that bad. No, it wasn't. Like, you actually have no idea what the fuck you're talking about. Uh, you come off as a bright enough kid. I'm 45. You're an idiot. You're like assuming I'm a kid because actually you're probably not even assuming I'm a kid. What comes out here is it's an attempt to demean me is what it is. But it doesn't work because I'm a grown ass adult with self-confidence and it doesn't derive from the approval of trolls on the internet. Uh, you come off as a bright enough kid with decent enough intentions who just fell down the anarchy rabbit hole. Uh, no, I've been studying anarchy for probably six or seven years. Uh, I've been co studying communism for around the same amount of time. I, I fell into conservatism and right-wing bullshit and capitalism. And when I started reading and learning intentionally, that's when I learned about anarchy and communism. So he continues. I played around with communism and anarchy in my youth too. No, you didn't. You don't know what you're talking about, obviously. You said in the beginning you liked anarchy because it's constantly being reimagined or something to that effect. Uh, I said that it can adapt to the evidence. I said that it can uh, change uh, when it is shown to be incorrect. <laughs> That's why it's a useful uh, heuristic for viewing the world through. <laughs> so... Uh, Talk about non-intellectual uh, nonsense here. Uh, and yeah, that's the allure. Yeah, that's not, that's not the allure. That's its fundamental, like that's the, one of the strengths of it. The anti-statism, the anti-hierarchy stuff, that's important. That's, that's the core, right? But on top of that is an acceptance of evidence, an acceptance of understanding the world as it is so that you can adapt to it and change it. <sighs> But that co-host of yours, good God, I'll be nice and just say the same doesn't always apply. Uh, actually, Felicia's brilliant. And I think that anybody uh, who, who's pathetic enough to be commenting negative shit on some small channel like mine uh, really isn't the person to be taking advice from. Uh, so anyway, I do wish you luck in life, kid. Uh, yeah, you're probably like a 13-year-old dipshit who thinks you're smarter than everybody else. Uh, because you live in Kiwi farms and everybody confirms your biases all the time. Uh, I suggest reading a book. Uh, <laughs> I'm just, it's, it's amusing as fuck to me that a guy like this thinks that his comment is somehow relevant. I, I, at first I didn't even read it because I, I, so I just replied, blah, 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 fuck off, get the fuck out of here because I don't need the approval of uh, internet trolls. Like I, I do this show for those who want to watch it. I do this show for myself because I have a need to get this outlet, uh, this stuff off my chest in a lot of ways and to learn and, and to grow with the world and to learn more about how things are working. But yeah, that's fine. <laughs> uh, pirate, whatever the fuck name, uh, Pirate McCall. Thanks for your bullshit comment. I'm every bit of uh, attention that you bring to the channel is appreciated. Uh, so anyway, that's the fun part. Um, I also, I, I have to, I have to get somber for a moment. Um, um, a friend of mine recently passed away. Uh, she was on my old show, uh, the brainstorm podcast, and she was genuinely one of the, the best people I've ever met in my life. Uh, she helped me learn about feminism. She helped me learn about 
com- like how to be a compassionate person and still uh, how to understand just being kind, but also standing up for what you believe. Um, I was friends with Angela for a number of years. We did. She was on my old show for a, a long time and uh, like four or five years uh, she was on that show with us. And I couldn't have asked for a better uh, co-host and, and friend. And uh, it's uh, it was devastating when I got the news that she had passed. And uh, yeah. Uh, my heart goes out to her family and and her 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 children and her husband and her her relatives like uh I'm still friends with uh, her cousin and and uh, yeah it's just it's hard when people pass before they uh before their time and and legitimately it feels like uh sometimes the good are the ones who die young and uh yeah uh, that's pretty much all I can say about that I I don't mean to send you into the uh interview with Andrew on a negative note or on a somber note, but I, I had to say something. I was thinking about putting together like a, an in memoriam uh, type of clip uh, set because she she was had one of the best radio voices you could hear. Uh, whenever she would say hello at the start, we would all ooh and ah at the the sultry tones of her uh, voice. And yeah, just an amazing person. One of my favorite people in the entire world. And uh, it's really, it's really sad and tragic that she's gone. But uh, I guess in whatever uh, cheesy way I can, I dedicate like this episode to her and uh, um, my future in uh, in feminism and and uh, and trying to make the world a better place. Like she wasn't an anarchist, but she was genuine, genuinely one of the best per- people I know. Uh, so with that. Uh, I guess I'll do the the silly plugs. Uh, you can support the show on Patreon at patreon.com slash skeptical leftist. You can send me money at buymeacoffee.com slash skeptical lefty. Uh, you can uh, give us a rating or a review on uh, Apple Podcasts or the podcast app of your choice. I like Podchaser, but nobody seems to like it. Um, and if you want to contact me, my email is mindofaskepticalleftist at gmail.com. Uh, uh, Mr. Pirate McCall, uh, or Miss Pirate McCall, or or non-binary individual uh, Pirate McCall, please, if you have a direct message to me, send it that way, or else you're going to be uh, dragged on <laughs> a video. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, what else is there? I guess that's it. Thank you very much to everybody who supports my show and supports this content and shares it around everywhere. I really appreciate it. On to the interview. All right. Hi and welcome to uh, The Mind of a Skeptical Leftist. Almost uh, said the name of one of my other shows. Uh, This is the podcast where I talk to a variety of people to spread critical thinking, progressive politics, and left-wing philosophy. And today I'm joined by Andrew Sage, uh, also known as Andrewism, formerly uh, St. Andrew. (laughs) Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. And hopefully by next day, I'll have like three more pseudonyms. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, that's right. So I guess a good place to start is like uh, a little bit about who you are. Um, I mean, obviously you don't have your, your picture on the, on the video. Uh, you, you're a, a private person who's trying yeah, to. Yeah, I yeah, tried to be. Which is absolutely fair. Uh but whatever you want to tell us about yourself, uh, that would be great. Sure. So as Corey said, I'm Andrew and, um, I've been really into politics since 
2016. Unfortunately, the wrong side of it. Um, <laughs> but since then, I've 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 had quite the turnaround, and especially in 2020, had a lot of um, political maturity and development and learning taking place as I just read and expanded my knowledge. So I I I believe that anarchism most closely approximates my my aims. Uh, I call my channel Andrewism because I believe that um, each and every person should try their best to, I want to say like customize the ideology <laughs> to, to figure out for themselves, to think for themselves about what ideas they, uh, they want to see achieved in this world rather than just adopt somebody else's whole thinking and mindset. Whole yep. thought. <laughs> yeah. That's a message I can endorse. I, I, uh, I know and like many people who claim to be Marxist Leninists, but I often wonder about naming my ideology after a person. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 And even, even though anarchism isn't named after any specific person, I still, you know, I, I see the importance in still, you know, finding your own way within that. Yeah. And yeah, so sure. just for some more background, I'm, um, I've been doing YouTube since mid mid 2020 i think it was either june or july 2020 is when i got started and really been enjoying it ever since um that's i am from trinidad and tobago born raised and still living and um yeah i'm just really passionate about these sorts of projects oh that's awesome you you seem to have like your content is always like very like informative and and entertaining so i you must read a lot is kind of the impression I get. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes and no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. There's certainly, um, certainly some, so my Goodreads yearly reading goal, reading challenge goal is 24 books. So roughly two books a month. That's um, pretty good. However, <laughs> last year I surpassed that goal, which was amazing. This year I am several books behind on that goal. Okay. So, you know, we'll see, we'll see. I um I will I do do try to read a lot though because I'm just trying to constantly expand on what I'm trying to get out of this whole world. No, nope, fair enough. I I'm I'm trying to push myself to read more now, but for probably the last 2 years I've haven't read a single book. So <laughs> so two books a month seems like pretty impressive to me. <laughs> yeah, I would say that what definitely helps, and I've been trying to get back on the horse lately, but what, what really helps is um, having, like, I know nobody uses Microsoft Edge, but <laughs> <laughs> Microsoft yeah. Edge actually has a very, like, it has a PDF viewer, like most browsers do, but it also, right. within that PDF viewer, it actually has some very well-developed um, text-to-speech voices, and oh, so wow. I've been using those to, like, help me progress through books so even though I, I don't necessarily pay for a bunch of audiobooks or whatever i could still listen and sometimes i'm able to follow along in the book sometimes i have other things to do and you know just being able to listen to that while i'm like washing dishes it really helps for sure yeah yeah i uh amazon sucks but i subscribe to audible so i have a, <laughs> an audiobook subscription that i i uh i listen to a lot of audiobooks lately i I kind of got away from theory though, and started just listening to like fantasy novels for a while, <laughs> just to get out of the politics. <laughs> That's world. completely fine. That's completely fine. I mean, uh, 
it's it's been a little while since I've listened to um to any fiction or read any fiction. Um a lot longer than I've been meaning to. Um I think it's only a couple months ago that I wrapped up reading the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy series. Nice. I think I was also reading some Octavia Butler and some um Ursula Quinn, but very I, cool. Yeah. <laughs> I've I've been doing a lot of nonfiction lately, but not even necessarily nonfiction in the realm of specifically anarchist literature. Uh, or specifically anarchist or even socialist theory. It's more so I'm just like looking for for information and using that and you know stewing over it, digesting it and fitting it into my worldview in one way or another. Uh, very cool. Uh so I guess uh you kind of said you were on the ops, the wrong side of politics in 2016. What what was it that brought you around to anarchism or anarchist type ideas? Right. So to clarify, um, it was really 2015, 2016. Um, I grew up in a religious context and um, particularly like a full gospel Christianity slash evangelical Christianity kind of context. Um, because evangelicals have done a really good job of spreading evangelicalism <laughs> across the globe, right? So there, yep. there are churches all over the place, evangelical churches all over the place. Um, and so I grew up in that context as I was, you know, going through my spiritual questioning, my religious questioning, a whole journey. I had simultaneously gone through my political transformation away from, um, Christianity and away from, um, like sort of that conservative thinking. It wasn't something I'd like consciously like thought much about, but it didn't take long for myself to like think myself out of it. You know, but my first introduction <laughs> right. to politics was um, because I was, I came from a homeschool background as well. And okay. so there's this guy on YouTube, his name is Hunter Avalon. And before he got into politics, before he started doing political content as well, he was doing um, like homeschooling humor which is, it's, it's quite, quite niche. But anyway, um, I was quite young at the time and I thought, okay, well, this is, this is my kind of vibe. Um, and then he, around 2015, 2016 is when he made the shift towards, you know, with the election and stuff going on in the US. And so okay. he was making content about that. And so that was my first introduction to politics. Ah. And then from there, the algorithm kind of put me in on to other people. Um, <laughs> and I mean, there's only so far I could go down that sort of right wing line because at the end of the day I'm still black, right? But um, fair, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but eventually, um, I just happened to be on Tumblr and I got exposed to anarchist and some socialist ideas. I got a couple whiffs of of bread tube um, of like Sean and philosophy oh, tube yeah. and contrapoints, those sorts of people. And um, even though I was moving away from Christianity. What kind of kept me for a little bit um, was this one particular person on Tumblr who went by like Kropotkin Christian. Um, okay. And so they were really what introduced me to anarchism in the first place and then simultaneously to uh, more progressive and more liberatory, liberation theology sort of strains of uh, Christianity. And even though I didn't end up staying in Christianity, it was still very illuminating that that person sort of helped me, you know, get out to that. You know, they went away sure. that they were helping me with that, you know? Yeah, it's interesting. Like, you often, uh, left politics is often portrayed as anti-religious. But there is, like, an actual, like, uh, group within left politics that is, like, 
they follow like liberation uh, philosophies and like uh, or liberation theology or uh, I believe it yeah, is. And, yeah. Yeah. Like there is a, a Christian left. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there is. There is. There is. Unfortunately, the Christian right is a lot, has a lot more um, voice and a lot more yeah. political power. But <laughs> I think that's something the Christian left should really be focusing on. It's it's building instead of yeah. you know, sort of. I think right now they're a bit spread out. I think they should try and focus on you know sort of bringing their different movements together yeah. and really speaking up a bit more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Kind of build some communities and get your voices out there is kind of yeah. The, uh, try try and flip the narrative, you know, because unfortunately the narrative right now about Christianity is overwhelmingly conservative. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, you can did you explore like the uh, like the kind of Marxist Leninist type of ideas as well, or did you go yes yes right I, into I did. Um, I mean, for the entire, I would say for most of the period of time. I identified as an anarchist, um, but besides reading the Communist Manifesto and the Conquest of Bread, I did not have that much anarchist okay. theory under my belt. Um, 2019 is when I started reading, listening to you know those two, Communist Manifesto and Conquest of Bread. Um, but it was really early 2020 when you know with lockdown and everything, I had more time to read and stuff a bit more, and. I was, I got more active on Twitter and stuff and said, so discovered left Twitter. Woe is me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, Nothing will make you less, less inclined to join the left than left Twitter. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But, um, my first introduction to left Twitter because unfortunately, uh, a lot of the louder voices on left Twitter are Marxist Leninists. Yeah. Um, and so at least in, in the introductory sphere of left Twitter. Um, and so I had, I had seen a couple different narratives, um, about like North Korea and about China and about Vietnam and what these different places. And so I was, right. I was curious. Um, I did some reading. Um, I checked out the links people had sent me. Um, and yeah, I I was not convinced. <laughs> I just put it like that. Um, the yeah, that's the justifications that they were providing for, you know, necessity of the state or for um, why the workers did not have um, you know autonomy and and self determination right. within and this sort of weird approach towards like taking uh, the party and taking. The general population and like conflating the two as right. if having political power does not or having outsized political power does not mold your interests towards a specific end yeah um i just for all the it's, talk of materialist analysis <laughs> and stuff I, I realized it was just a very deeply unserious sort of post hoc justification for something that people already wanted to believe they wanted right. to believe that there are still socialist states out there and they're still fighting the good fight and whatever. When in reality, unfortunately, while some projects certainly had more potential, more hope than others, they have not <laughs> succeeded, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. And I think, well, of course, while external influence and external control and external meddling, whether it be through that sort of tug of war with the Cold War or whether it be through just direct US interference, 
I think that definitely played a role, uh, sure. a significant role in those failures. But another issue that brought me the wrong way was the lack of approach to these failures in a way that addressed anything other than U.S. involvement, that addressed anything other than mm-hmm. like sort of internal contradictions and stuff that would have contributed to those failures. Like, for example, uh, with the Black Panther Party, right? Very important, very revolutionary, very influential group, right? An inspiration to people all over the world. However, comma, while Quintel Pro played a large, significant, massive role in the um, dissolution of the um, Black Panther Party, there were already hints of um, division, such mm-hmm. as between the East Coast Panthers and the West Coast Panthers, or between, or within the internal hierarchy of the party, or between the rank and file and the greater party um, directors or members. Right. Um, and so I found there was a complete lack of analysis and as to, you know, where these projects had failed, how we can do differently. Because if you just take, you just say, oh, well, the U.S. caused them to fail and you just dust off your hands and say, that's that. You completely miss out on all the literature that former members would have written, all the internal critiques that people in these different countries have written, and all of the different nuances and disagreements and such within these movements, within these countries. You miss out on all of that because you want to hold on to this one particular narrative because it's, I guess, more comfortable. Right. Yeah. And, and so, that gives you an opportunity to like learn and grow and like do things. Exactly. Exactly. We're not going to recreate the 20th century, 20th century, right. dead and gone, you know? <laughs> yeah. So I ended sure. up, um, I ended up reading critiques. I ended up reading, um, different perspectives. I ended up reading, um, anarchist critiques more specifically, um, even critiques from people who weren't necessarily anarchists, but leaned. And I guess those sorts of more libertarian directions, um, I ended up also stumbling upon a video series by a guy on YouTube named Anok or Daniel Barian. And oh, yeah. he has this excellent series on how the state is counter-revolutionary. Um, yep. I highly recommend everybody <laughs> gives that a watch. Um, and that, those sorts of things really solidified to me that this is not, you know, the move, you know, this is not what I'm, I'm not, this is, I can't go in that direction. And so, um, yeah. between the anarchist FAQ, between anarchy works, like it's a girl loose, between, um, Anarchism of the Black Revolution by Lorenzo Kumbua Irvin, um, alongside other feminist texts and so on and so forth. I, I really came to the realization that um, anarchism really is the path that I see, you know, means and ends wise. It is right. the means, I believe. Or, I mean, there are different ways of looking at anarchism. In, but in this case, I'll say it is the means to the ends that I believe would be liberation. Yeah, I, I, I mean, obviously, I agree. <laughs> I, I, I find often like it's very hard to communicate uh, why I think the state uh, has been counter-revolutionary to people, and if they don't want to watch like anarch series on it, like then I don't know how really to convince them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, between means and ends, between the anarchist FAQ, between, um, and of course, Daniel's series, I think by now, if somebody was genuinely, well, I wouldn't say by now, because everybody's at a different stage in their journey, but I would say that if somebody really is genuinely um, curious about anarchist critiques of the state, not only do we have, you know, centuries worth of writing, we also have 
contemporary projects taking place of people criticizing of offering these critiques yeah. um and so it, that's part of what took me off of marxism leninism as well it was the way that um both in the literature and on social media the way that they engaged with anarchism um mm. lenin famously was not an anarchism understander after <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that um that way <laughs> and so i think yeah. a lot of marxists just continue in that um in that tradition of these sorts of 101 critiques that are greatly engaged with in anarchist literature, um, the classic unauthority maneuver that's oh, geez. <laughs> constantly put up there, you know, and then on top of that, the, um, the sort of critique of anarchism that's just like a right-wing critique of communism. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. The unauthority move is like... I, I hate to break it to like people who like angles, but that's not a good piece of theory. <laughs> like, it's, it's, I don't even think it was intended to be, but it, <laughs> like, yeah, it really isn't. And I mean, no shade to angles because I mean, he, he has written other stuff before that, you know, a lot better. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Honestly, at the same time, <laughs> I, I just find it interesting that, that him and that text in particular held up considering the examples that he uses, considering right. his class background, I would think that people would want to be a bit more critical of how he would approach a topic like that. But yeah. again, it's it's sort of rationalizations after the fact or something that you really strongly believe in. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like, uh, like you mentioned, the, uh, the way that having political power, it changes your... Uh, material interests like it seems like people who often discuss things and and want to be viewed as historical materialists uh it seems like they're missing that aspect of it like the actual way that it's worked in the past right it's i don't know it's it's just very hard to get it through to people (laughs) yeah unfortunately so in uh in the notes here that it says that you've got a book that you're writing so I'm curious, what, what is your book about? Right. So, um, I mean, there's a second book, um, but that's like a poetry book. And I won't get into okay. that right now. Um, the first the primary book that I'm working on is, I mean, I don't have a title for it yet. So the working title is um, The Maroon Project. And it's essentially an exploration of um, Caribbean history. Um, oh, cool. Caribbean issues, present issues, what I would call the Caribbean pathology, um, consisting of, you know, all the intersecting structures of oppression that cause all these problems in our society. And finally, um, solutions for a truly revolutionary, truly liberated Caribbean future. Um, it's definitely, of course, written for a Caribbean audience, primarily, first and foremost. Um, but the ideas within it are largely can be applied to, you know, the world at large. Um, the critique of the Caribbean pathology from, you know, capitalism, the state, private property, um, patriarchy, all these different things are, of course, issues that are found around the world. Um, sure. But I wanted to fill a void in the Caribbean literature space because there has really been a lack of um, loud, uh, present left voices 
in mm. at least the Anglo-Caribbean sphere. Um, you know, like Bahamas, Jamaica, Trinidad, St. Lucia, St. Vincent, Grenada, Barbados, all these different places. Um, there, there has been a void because in the 20th century, there were very active trade unionist movements and Grenada had the Mutual Movement, which was, you know, dealt with by the U.S. Um, mm. And there was, of course, the Black Power move Revolution in Trinidad in 1970. Um, however, there's less like shadows, whispers, ghosts, uh, tumbleweeds compared to what once was. And so I think right. this next generation needs a, 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 a vision um, to mobilize them because just like in the rest of the world, you know, this next generation is dealing with issues of housing and food and just general instability and crisis. Right. Um, the lack of sustainability and um, self-reliance within the Caribbean is also a concern um, because as colonies that were based on and built for extraction, um, as, you know, plantation economies, um, despite independence, due to the lack of reparations and due to the lack of any sort of remuneration for the losses and damages and such that were inflicted upon this region, um, we are still very reliant on the outside, on imports. Um, and so I think one of the primary aims should really be food autonomy and other forms of autonomy for the region um, and okay. for its people. And so I think this generation has a major role to play in bringing that and bring that about because I think some of the old heads are um, a bit stuck in those sorts of in those sorts of more traditional ways. Um, the education system is definitely plays a role in that um, right. in sort of establishing a certain mindset within the people. And so I, I know that a lot of us are looking for something different and I just want to um, offer something different. I don't think that anarchism has really been presented um, clearly and concisely to this audience before. Um, right. Not that anarchist ideas haven't been present in the works of like CLR James or um, certain other writers and thinkers, but a lot more um, can be done, um, especially written for a 21st century audience. And so that's what I'm hoping to achieve. That's awesome. Yeah, it's a lot gets written about like uh, the United States or uh, you know, like uh, the big loud countries. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But, exactly. But a lot doesn't. Yeah, a lot of other places get ignored. Like, um, so it's good that uh, it's like good you don't, to they don't often something. hear people talking about like East Timor or, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> or like one of the Pacific islands, one of the small Pacific nations or the Anglo-Caribbean. I mean, even when we're talking about within the left, most yeah. discussions of the Caribbean are focused on Cuba, right? right. Occasionally yeah. Haiti, um, occasionally Puerto Rico because Puerto Rico has a lot, Puerto Ricans have a large presence in the US. Um, and I mean, there are some niche MLs who would know about the new dual movement in Grenada. But otherwise, you know, the whole range of cultures and histories <laughs> right south of like the US and it's not really seen <laughs> yeah for sure yeah it's too bad like uh, like you say a lot of people focus on uh like especially on the left focus on cuba because it's considered a success in many ways right right which uh, f is fine i guess <laughs> 
Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> I have um, I've I've had friends from Cuba. Um, I mean, I knew one particular uh, woman who was a neighbor for a bit, who came from Cuba and she was working to send money back for her family. And um, I I just really want people to just engage these countries in like an honest way and to right. stop like putting on these rose tinted glasses because. The embargo, of course, is, is a significant issue uh, within yes. the country, but the lifting of the embargo is not going to solve all of Cuba's issues overnight. There are a lot of other right. internal issues that existed prior to the embargo and will exist after the embargo that also needs to be resolved. Yeah, for sure. I I, I visited Cuba in 2009, and uh, uh, my, I guess at the time it was my wife's, uh, now ex-wife's, uh, cousin's stepdad was from Cuba. So we talked a bit about that, but I was a right winger at the time. So I was very (laughs) (laughs) anti-communist. And so I, I had a very particular perspective when I was talking to him about it. And, and now looking back, I wonder if maybe I had been, you know, asking the wrong questions. And, but even then I was, I was kind of impressed with some of the stuff that was going on. Like, uh, uh, he said like that, when you graduate high school, then you get to choose to either join the military or uh, go into university. And I was like, well, obviously everybody's going to choose going into university, right? <laughs> 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 but I guess not. But uh, yeah. but it, it seems like if you look, compare that to the U.S. or Canada, uh, we have very similar kind of structure, except you also have to have all this debt piled on top of you when you come out of your schooling. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and and I think that's, that's part of, I mean, just on an aside, I just want to say that Cuba's, you know, having to build its own self-reliance due to the issues um, it's dealing with because of the U S it's definitely an inspiration. Right. And a lot of the projects they've taken on um, regards like urban gardening, that kind of thing. I think it's something that should be replicated right across the rest of the region. Um, but what's the point to what like you were saying about university and the fact that you go into a lot of debt to to you know attend university in, in, in the US? Um, that's something that I've realized may play an influence at why people look at these other countries with yeah. rose tinted glasses, right? Because I mean, a lot of newbie leftists they look at like the social democratic countries, but then once you graduate past social democracy, um, <laughs> people <laughs> tend to look at these other countries that I would consider also social democracies. Um, and as someone who, I mean, we have like a mix of public and private healthcare, but the public healthcare we do have, it's it's free. So when I was mm-hmm. doing this with my headache, you know, I got to the clinic for free. But it was a long wait because, you know, it's free. But uh, <laughs> right, got to the clinic. I was able to get a CT scan for free. I got my results for free. I got everything for free. Got even got medication for free. Um, yeah, that's so, that's a big difference. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Able to go to, I was able to get my tertiary education, um, not fully covered, though there is an option to have your tertiary education fully covered. But I got like tuition fees are not that much, and also I got it fifty percent off. I I only had to cover the other fifty percent, right? And um, and even and before that, it, everybody got it a hundred percent, but due to some you know financial constraints, ended up changing. Um, and of course, Trinidad is not like a, Transpago is not a, a social, it's not like a, a socialist right. country, right? <laughs> it's, 
it's um it's just better than the it's, US. It's, it's like a standard, <laughs> it's a standard like post-colonial, yeah, social democratic-esque sort of country. Just not currently a dystopia. <laughs> in a lot of ways, I think it can be, but not in that way, at least. At least <laughs> okay. you don't have to um like a friend of mine broke his arm recently and he had to wait a while to get treated and get his x-ray and whatnot. But at least he didn't have to pay like a million dollars, right? Right, right. To get it dealt with. Yeah, in, in Canada, fact, there's actually oh. a um I can't remember which of the islands, but there is a Caribbean country that is that has been putting a lot of focus on medical tourism actually. Oh, okay. Um, so a lot of people who actually go to that country to get treated. Let me just check and see which which one it is. Yeah, I know in, in, in Canada here we have free healthcare, but there's different segments of people who are trying to get it privatized because they don't feel like they should have to pay for everybody. And I have money, so why should I have to wait in line if I can pay for better service? So uh, so they're trying to almost undermine the way that we have our healthcare system. Right. Which, which is not great. <laughs> <laughs> really isn't. Right. So I know Barbados has like a strong medical tourism sector. Oh, okay. As does Cuba and as does Jamaica, but primarily Barbados, I believe. Okay. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I know. Uh, I mean, again, you hear a lot about Cuba, but I didn't realize uh, Barbados had a, had that as well. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. Cuba does send a lot of its doctors around the region and around the world as well. So mm-hmm. I think that's why they're more well-known because of that, um, you know, advocacy outward. Right. Uh, it's uh, beneficial, I guess, to multiple regions. So I guess kind of just to skip on to something else, like uh, you said you've been doing videos since 2020. Yep. So uh, I'm curious about your process. What? How do you pick your topics and, and how do you go through that? Um, just in the process of navigating life, of reading books, of, you know, going through social media, um, just different ideas for videos would come to me. Um, okay. I have like a very long list now, um, about six years <laughs> worth if I continue at this pace. Um, wow. of course those are probably narrowed down over time as some topics may get merged, some topics may get dropped, that kind of thing. But, mm-hmm. um, I yeah, I pretty much once I've I've got a topic in mind that I want to cover, um I would go and it's really based on what I want to learn about and what I want to learn more about because that's how the channel kind of started. Um pretty much learning what I learned and then sharing it with others. And so um like I'm still I'm reading through some degrowth stuff right now in preparation for okay. degrowth video. Nice. Um I recently released a video on the commons and when I was preparing for that, I read, you know, Governing the Commons by Eleanor Ostrom. Right. And, um, yeah, pretty much. Um, and that has its negatives positives. Um, the negative being that for some videos, I have to read a whole book before I could even get started on writing it. A whole yeah. book or two before I even get started on writing it. And so sometimes the laziness, you know, <laughs> it takes time. Off and yeah. Like, for example, the um, Commons video. I had the idea for that one since 2020. It's just, right. I saw Ellen Ostrom's book. I saw how she writes and I saw the length of the book and I was like, let me, <laughs> um, let me put this one off a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, once I've I've done my research, you know, I usually as I'm reading through the book, I would highlight certain passages, I would make certain notes. Um and then from there, um sometimes I outline what I want to talk about and what I want to talk about it before I start researching. Um okay. and other times I do the outline afterwards. Um I put down my notes and my quotes and my highlights, whatever the case may be, and then from there I just start writing and um from I think the the outlining stage takes about a day. Um, okay. The writing stage takes anywhere between <laughs> depends on the length of the video <laughs> um, and the amount of research that needs to be done. But it can take anywhere between a day to five days. Right. Um, and I'm like, this may, it may sound crazy for some who you know may take longer to write, but when it comes to writing, I'm. As soon as I wake up to sunset, just going at it on the keyboard, you know. Uh, at this point, I don't really deal with too much um, writer's block because oh, okay. because the outline and I kind of already know what I want to say, um, and because now having two years of experience under my belt, mm. I kind of know how I'm going to say it. Um, so, yeah, between one day to five days, and then is the collecting stage, my least favorite stage. We have to collect <laughs> the artwork and stuff to to edit out the um the piece. And as I'm ah. collecting, I'm also editing the, the writing itself to make it flow better, to have it fit with the artwork in some cases better. Um and sometimes the collecting artwork stage can take a day, you know, a couple hours. Other times it is headache inducing, creating okay. I use Google Images, right? And um, with Google Images, sometimes you're downloading WebP files, and so you have to convert them. Sometimes you get um, <laughs> a really grainy thing, and so you're trying to get like a higher quality version of the image, and you're not finding it, and it's just it's a lot. Sometimes you have a certain <laughs> certain vision of a certain piece of art that you want. Um, I stick to established artists and usually long dead artists. Um, okay, <laughs> but. Uh, so they have a certain vision of what you want to see and you're just not seeing it and it can get frustrating. Um, and that's part of why I ended up drawing my profile picture in the first place. Because oh, originally yeah. my YouTube channel was just like a yellow circle, right? And then I was like, I cannot fill every line of my script with a, with a painting or a picture or whatever or a video. I need right. to have like some sort of depiction of myself. And so that's how my avatar got started. <laughs> Um, and so anyway, once I've done that collecting stage and stuff, I, and done whatever edits I need to make, I record, um, and I usually do it in, at the beginning, I was doing it piece by piece. Um, but now I do it in one take and oh, okay. just wow. edit stuff from there. <laughs> once I've edited it, it's just to put the whole thing together in Premiere Pro, hope and pray it doesn't crash like three times. And, um, <laughs> You know, control yeah. S every two seconds, but yeah, then it's 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 ready to go. Uh, doing it all in one take, do you have to then like uh, like I find with doing the interview stuff, I do some editing, not much. I probably listen to the same bit of audio or hour of audio three or four times. But for your kind of project, do you end up listening to it like a bunch of times? I I do the editing and. In, in one sitting as well, usually. Oh, okay. So I, do, I record in one take. Um, and I, I really try to avoid re-recording because I find that when I do re-record, 
they're very subtle, like atmospheric changes and background changes that just make <laughs> yeah. it sound like completely abrupt and, and weird. So that's why I ended up doing things in one take. And that's how I ended up, you know, trying not to re-record any yeah. sections. Um, like I would rather record the whole thing all over again than re-record one particular section. <laughs> Yeah. And thankfully, I'm not, um, unlike some of my peers, I keep my videos under 30 minutes. So it's a bit easier. You know, I, if it was like a two hour long video, I definitely couldn't uh, right. do that that way. Yeah, I find like, <laughs> I often, like I try to do like a, a, a current events type of uh, intro sometimes to the final edited version of my, uh, of these interviews. And I find that if I don't have the right topic, or, or the right script, I can just start rambling. And like 20 minutes later, I don't even know how I got to the end of where I'm talking about. So, so right. I gotta, I gotta be pretty careful about what I'm doing, saying. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm getting a bit better at speaking without a script, um, okay. because I've been doing the, it could happen here podcast and, right. um, and I've done a couple interviews and right now actually, um, I've started for my Patreons, um, sub- subscribers doing like little live streams once a month. And so just kind of working on that aspect of it. Cause I think I've gotten my narration mostly down, um, the way that I approached, you know, recording the videos, but right. you know, there's more to speaking than just reading from a script. And even right. within that reading from a script, I'm trying to be, you know, trying to get better at it, trying to get more animated and, um, you know, look at my pace and that kind of thing. Right. Yeah, because it's got to be like clear for people to hear, and also, but at a certain pace so they don't get bored. <laughs> like, it's not uh, it's not as easy as uh, people might imagine. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and there's the added component of my accent, right? Because I mean, in typical day to day conversation, I've seen some people joke about how slow, quote unquote, I speak in my videos, right? Um, if I were to speak at my typical conversational pace in a video, I don't think I would be as well understood. Mm, um, yeah. And also as somebody who typically watches YouTube videos, um, at least slightly sped up, um, I don't think it's that, <laughs> that big of a deal, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, that's right. I, I've been told quite often that I have a very strong Canadian accent, so <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not sure if people actually understand me or not, but <laughs> I've been doing this for too long to change now, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> and I think there's also the benefits in, in whether it be an American accent, a British accent, a Canadian accent, um, because those accents are very much present in media. I think people yeah, are more true. accustomed to, you know, listening to them and understanding them. Whereas when's the last time you heard a Trinidadian, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's not particularly common. Yeah. Um, yeah. And also, I guess we're, uh, we're going to, we were gonna, I guess you mentioned your Patreon. Um, you've actually, I guess before we get into the Patreon, like your channel has kind of grown pretty fast. Yeah. It's, it's incredible. It's a, uh, I'm but deservedly. So your videos are very good. So I'm, I'm <laughs> it's good that your channel grew at the rate that it did. Thank you. <laughs> but yeah. So then your Patreon, like, uh, uh, one of the things that I like about Patreon is that uh, it often gives people access to like a discord community and which you also have uh, associated with yours. So 
Uh, I wonder, like, what kind of things go uh, on in the Discord community for your Patreon? Um, I mean, the Discord community is not Patreon exclusive. Okay, that, um, that's good. <laughs> but I, I um, <laughs> I'm not really involved in in my in my Discord. Um, oh no, I w- it was repeatedly requested of me that I make a Discord for my channel. Um, but first and foremost, I'm not that active on Discord. Um, secondly, I'm not really interested in, in keeping up with like running a Discord. And thirdly, I, I'm really, really wary of developing like parasociality at all. Fair. So yeah. I, um, I'm not that much involved in my Discord. I, it, it basically runs itself for the most part. But I see a lot of, you know, great discussions and stuff being had, questions being asked and answered. And when I release my videos, of course, I share them in there and I get some feedback and stuff from time to time. So, yeah. Oh, that's cool. I I find like Discord, uh, if you're not in the right communities, like then then it can be kind of like almost as alienating as every other social media. (laughs) (laughs) So, so, but I use it for our local uh, leftist uh, slash anarchist group we we that's where we kind of hang out like all eight of us <laughs> and, chat, and chat but uh i find that it's good for that but yeah once you get over like a hundred people in there i don't know how you'd even keep track anyway yeah 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 it gets a little bit hectic and of course once you get over that count there is the inevitable um drama <laughs> right there's always right. some some sort of silver drama yeah, for sure. Well, we're at about 45 minutes. Is there anything that we haven't touched on that you would like to talk about? Um, not much in particular. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. So I guess all that's left is where can people find you and your content if they don't already know? <laughs> right. So you can find me on youtube.com slash andrewism on Twitter, unfortunately, dot com slash <laughs> Um, underscore Saint Drew, and on Patreon.com/slash Saint Drew. Right on. Well, I I really appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. It was great conversation. All right, folks, that's everything. Thanks for watching and/or listening. Remember to share this show with your friends and on the social media site that you use the most. Thank you to everyone who supports this show on Patreon. I really appreciate it, and it helps me spend more time on this and my other projects. If you want to contribute, you can do that at patreon.com slash skeptical leftist, or you can buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash skeptical lefty. If you can't contribute financially, then a five-star rating or a, and a review on the podcast app of your choice or one of the podcast review sites like Podchaser would be great. If you want to find more from me, then check out the show notes, for links to all my stuff, or check my website, skepticalleftist.com. There you can check out my other show, From Many People's Strength, which is a podcast about Saskatchewan politics. Uh, You can check out the videos that I do with my friend Damien Marie at Hope, and all my old content from the Brainstorm podcast. You can also find the links to my Discord, Reddit, and Twitch. Uh, You can contact me through my website or by emailing mindofaskepticalleftist at gmail.com. My Twitter is at Skeptical Lefty, and my Facebook page is The Mind of a Skeptical Leftist. Thanks so much for watching or listening, and try to get involved with something in your area, and let's all work to make the world a better place.